Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Own a Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and I have with me Adam Schmela. And Adam is founder and president of Integrated Planning and Wealth Management. And he's also the host of 2020 Money Podcast, which I was actually just a guest on. So long time no see, Adam. I know. We said that before we hit record. Good to see you again, Steve. It's been a while, right? Ha ha he he. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time. We're going to talk about something today that I actually covered a few weeks ago, but we're going to take a little bit of a uh, different angle on it. We're going to talk about goal setting for your practice and how to think through that process, not only from the the point of view of the business, but also how that number ties into your personal goals and your personal uh, plan. And a few weeks ago, I did a podcast on that topic, but I was more focused on the business side of things. And I covered some of the common mistakes that that people make, that ODs make in, in terms of setting those goals and perhaps giving them some insight into why it's a struggle sometimes to reach your goals. So I, I might ask your input on that uh, as well as we move forward. But you you mentioned something before as we were kind of going back and forth on, on what to talk about today on that topic, you mentioned how much peace of mind people have in knowing what their savings target is for their, their personal plan and how they can build a practice around that, that number. And I, I think maybe the key word there is target. It was it Zig Ziglar who said, if you, what was it? If you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. Hit it every time. Yep. So what is that target? I, I don't know if a lot of people know what that is. They save, they invest, but what actually would, what, can we get more specific on that? So maybe we can help people today start that process of of getting clarity on on what those goals are and how to tie that into their personal goals. So let me start here, Adam. One of the things from more of a, a clinical perspective that I talk a lot with with practice owners in terms of I, I suppose it's a patient communication issue is when you sit down with the patient, getting to know, asking the right questions, getting to know them, understanding them, understanding what their real issues are. A lot of times it goes beyond what they tell us. You know, they may just say, I have dry eyes, but understand it, understanding how that's affecting them in their daily life, in their occupation, really understanding the needs of the patient. What is your process? Take us through the, the, the process of a, a financial advisor perspective. How do you get to know and understand your clients at that level? What, what is your process for better understanding their personal aspirations. So you as an advisor in that area can help direct them toward that target. Oh my gosh, there's so many different directions that I could take that conversation. Um, I think what you were saying, Steve, reminded me of a phrase that I learned a long time ago that the mark of any great advisor, and, and I'll, I'll lump eye care professionals into that as an advisor in that through the filter of Asking patients questions and getting to know your patient allows you to prescribe, to advise, to recommend a certain treatment plan. And whether that's a dispense, whether that's dispensing ophthalmics or certain procedures, whatever that might be, the mark of a great advisor is not in the advice that you give, but the questions that you ask. And so one of my favorite kind of philosophies and approaches, and this, this admittedly, I think takes time and dare I say a little courage for anybody to get comfortable with is when you're asking questions to your subject, right? In our case, it would be a client that's working with our firm in an, in an OD's perspective, it would be the, the patient in the chair. Just when you think you've asked all the questions that you could ask, ask one more, try and add, tell me a little bit more about that. Why do you feel that way? Why is that important to you? 
there's so many different one more type questions. There's a book out there, QBQ, and I'm forgetting the author's name. You and I always have our competition as to how many book names we can drop and how many quotes we can have in our conversation. So we'll we'll <laughs> we'll start that clock running early in this in this dialogue. Um, but that book is all about trying to help equip advisors with asking really, really good questions. There is so much emotion and history and behavior that goes into the financial planning process that admittedly, I don't think a lot of quote unquote traditional advisors, or maybe not even traditional, but I think it takes a different kind of advisor to really get into the why from a planning perspective, because it's so easy for lack of a better word for an advisor to focus on the what. How much do you need to save? What does your portfolio look like? How much XYZ stock do you own? Do you have a 401k in your practice? What's your life insurance situation? Like, those are all the what's from a planning perspective. And those are what we would call, or what I think of as more of the tactical decisions that someone would make. One of my absolute favorite questions to start off, and maybe it's not the absolute first question, but it's certainly early on in the relationship, is help me understand how money was viewed when you were growing up. Understand that we all have a money story. We all have, right? We weren't born with belief structures, and this is applicable around anything in our life. None of us were born with any type of belief structures. The belief structures that we have, and therefore the behavior that we act upon, and the actions that we take, the thoughts that we have, the emotions that we feel are all a summation of the life experiences that we've had and the people that we've spent our time around. And as kids growing up, whether you're listening to this and you're 20 years old, 25 years old, or 65 years old, you've all inherently, we have all inherently been inoculated, if you will, with a money story at some point in our life early on. And so that's one of my first questions to understand is what is it? How does someone, how, how was money talked about? How was, how did you experience money as a kid growing up? Was it talked about a lot? Was it a taboo subject? Did you we've had situations where, yeah, we moved around because mom and dad didn't, weren't able to afford rent. And I promise you that that type of experience will form some very, very strong neural pathways in your brain about a scarcity mindset that can encapsulate someone when they think about money, as opposed to someone on the other end of that spectrum. If they came from a very, for lack of a better word, um, affluent, rich, right? Wealthy lifestyle where money really wasn't an issue. We took the vacations, we had the cars, we had the toys, private school, et cetera. There might be a little bit more of a free spirit from a, from a saving standpoint. There's no correlative um, uh, history there that I can say. I can't say, you know, everybody has a money story and that forms the habits that they take today. But I think if I could kind of summarize that all into an encapsulating thought for the listener right now is the why behind your planning needs to be addressed before you can really dive into the what you need to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I had to learn that myself when I transitioned from, from an OD over to the consulting was better understanding what someone's motivations were for wanting to, for basically wanting to get help. So nobody ever calls a consultant initially with the sort of what I like to call the reason behind the reason. It's always very business oriented. You know, I need to reduce my cost of goods. When you ask what, what do you want help with? I need to reduce my cost of goods or I'm hiring an office manager. I need help with these various things. Something that I found, the more I would talk to somebody 
uh, the longer the, the conversations went on and perhaps some trust developed and the re relationship developed, they would start to open up with, with their own story. You talk about a money story. I learned that everybody has a story and they would start to open up with things that had more to do with their personal life. And it wasn't just about cost of goods anymore. Now it was about, I'm not able to spend enough time with my kids, or I haven't been on a vacation in, in two years, mm. or I want more, more free time, or there's other things I want to pursue. I think sometimes we lose sight of whatever that vision we that we maybe had at one time. Maybe it's when we were in optometry school or those first couple of years opening up a practice where we're very excited. I think sometimes we get into this grind or hit this rut where we perhaps forget what that vision was. So I like teasing that out of people because that for me is very helpful to help guide them because I, I don't know initially like you, perhaps in trying to find out about their money story, what are your goals and, and where do you want to go? What do you want to accomplish? It could be very different from one person to the next. Um, well, I think, and some might call this semantics. The, the, the word goal, I think is such an ambiguous word. It gets thrown around and it means different things to different people. And again, it, you can call me out on this and it might be semantics. I've always kind of thought of it. What are your intentions? What are your intentions this year? Where do you want to focus your time and energy, right? We all have resources that we spend on a daily basis, our time, our money, our energy. If I could kind of distill it down to three different areas, where do you want to deploy those various lines of capital over the course of the year? And how do you think about spending those on a daily basis? One of my favorite phrases is, um, I don't know if I brought this up with you on our podcast, on our conversation on 2020 money, or, or if it was with a different guest, um, show me your checkbook and show me your calendar and I'll show you your priorities. And so to, to my point of what is your intention? What are your intentions this year? We can rewind that all the way back as you were talking, Steve, why do you own a practice? What is your intention in owning a practice? What is its purpose? in your life? Is it primarily your economic engine? Did you go into private practice because your first thought was, I can make a lot more money owning my own private practice than I can being as an associate? And again, these are asymmetrical questions, right? I know that the listener can't answer right now. I'm hopefully doing a good job of seeding conversation, though you and I can certainly volley back and forth here. Was it, I want to have an impact on my community? Sometimes it's a control issue. I, I, I don't want to take instruction from anybody else. I want to be the one calling the shots. And dare I say, it's a power play. But I think the important thing about, regard, about this from a practice owner's perspective, regardless of what your reason was for owning a practice, I jokingly say, even done half right, owning a practice can be more financially, quote unquote, successful than being an associate because for multiple different reasons that we may or may not dive into this conversation, right? So the common denominator in all of this as a practice owner is yes, if you do it marginally well and you give it enough time and you follow the blueprint that we know as the business of optometry, it's a reasonable expectation to say that you will end up making more money than an associate. Now it's not free and it doesn't come come without its hurdles and trials and tribulations. But now the question is going right back to your money story. What do you do with it? What is your motivating factor now with that money? 
I don't know. I kind of took us in a couple of different directions there. Sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> Does it start there though, in terms of, as we talk about the perhaps clarity around that, why, and what is it for that individual that they're trying to accomplish it? Because there's, if I go back and I, was it a Harvard study? I don't remember where they, they tracked people over like 20 years and they yeah. found that people had, if you had clarity on what you wanted to accomplish. Now that's always, there's always going to be some deviation in that those people were significantly more successful in life than those who didn't. I do something, I haven't done this in a while. I haven't done this talk in a while, but I had a talk where at the beginning, I asked people to write down, I give them a few minutes, where do you want to be? I, I can't remember the timeline. Maybe it was five years, a reasonable time frame that you have some level of control over. What do you want your practice to look like in five years? What do you want your revenues to be? What do you want? How many employees do you want to have? And I, I said, get super specific. What kind of music do you want playing when people walk in? What does it feel like? But also tie that into your personal goals as well. And it was interesting, Adam, because about half the people did it. I watched out at the the people in the in the audience and half of them didn't. They either just sat there or looked sat at their phone. And I really right? wondered if <laughs> if I could try, if I, I had no way of knowing, but what the individual practices looked like that had that mentality of I'm, I have clarity, or I'm at least willing to put some clarity down on paper as to what I want to accomplish. Because I think without that, it, it's difficult to really, as you talk about how do we spend our time? Well, how do we spend our time to get there? You And you only have 24 hours in a day. So you want to make sure that you're spending it in a way that is mapped to what you're really trying to accomplish, right? Well, it's a, from a practice owner's perspective, it's then taking inventory about what is your best and highest use of time in the business. Where is the business now versus where it was when you started? I think some of the areas or some of the ways in which practice owners essentially kind of get lost in the weeds is the vision of the practice that they had or that they wanted when they either first bought the practice, which again, is an entirely com different conversation about what changes they wanted to you're, you're, you're essentially turning course on a ship that's already, that's already setting, that's already at sea versus, all right, I'm building this ship and then going to set sail in my own direction from a cold start perspective. So what was the vision of the practice that you wanted when you first acquired your practice versus where it is right now? The challenge is there can sometimes be a subconscious divergence that happens in the way in which we think our practices turn, the, the way in which we think we're showing up in the practice versus where we actually are showing up in the practice and how it manifests itself in the success of the practice and where we're spending our time and energy. We have some, we've, uh, some relationships that haven't seen a patient in five years because they've taken the cognitive and intentional decision. They've made that decision to say, I actually enjoy and am better at the business of optometry and being the visionary for the business. I'm a replaceable asset. One of the hardest things that I had to get comfortable with in my own business, as well as ODs that we talk to that aspire to maybe grow into more of an enterprise rather than quote unquote, just a solo, solo location is this idea that we're not as special as we think we are, that it, it, there are other ODs that can give the same type of patient experience than what you can. And so that doesn't mean that you have to make that shift. It just matters that you get clear on where you want to deploy your time and energy into the practice and that you're taking inventory about where you can have the most positive impact in the practice. And last but not least, kind of this trying this, this bar stool of, a, of, of, of questions here, what do you enjoy doing? What actually do you enjoy doing on a day-to-day -day basis? 
Some people may say, you know what? I, yeah, I'm good at the business. I just don't like it, but I love seeing patients. Awesome. That's an, that's what we would call an above the line activity. Stay in your lane, literally pun intended, right? <laughs> um, but these are the questions to your point, Steve, on uh, uh, Zig Ziglar, right? If you, if you fail to set a goal, you'll hit it every time. I didn't, that's not the exact quote. What is it? You said it before we. I'm not saying it's uh, the exact one because I might have butchered it too. But if you aim at nothing, you'll there hit you it go. every that time. Is. Something like that. Yeah. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And you're spot on about that Harvard study. Uh, it was, I think it was three. Per, so the, the, they studied the entire class and those that set goals, which turned out to be something mm -hmm. like 3% of the class, the other 97 didn't set goals. And those 3% ended up amassing more quote unquote success and wealth than the other 97% combined. Yeah, uh, It's an amazing, it, it's a fascinating thing if you will, of what the power of our brains can be when we give it a bone to gnaw on, right? Mm -hmm. When we, when we dangle that carrot out there and we set that goal, but to your point, so many times I feel like practice owners will set a goal in their practice. I had to go 10%, All right? Why 10%? Why not eight? Why not 12? Why not five? But wh where did that come from? What are you solving for? And why are you solving for it? And that's the connection of the business goals being in servant of and in alignment with what your personal goals are. And that may be it too, even as we, we hang on to that Harvard business study is it gave them more direction in how they spent that time. As you talk about how are you determining how you're going to deploy your time and making sure that you're doing it in a way that you're getting the most positive impact on that time. It, it brings me back to, I'm a big fan of the 80, 20 principle, right? Yep. Which is hard sometimes because it requires you to stop doing things. One of my, my favorite terms out of my MBA classes was opportunity cost. And it really changed my <laughs> yes. thinking on a lot of things because you do have this and, and I'm wired up this way to figure out how to do something myself. And I could, but is that the best use of my time? Because you can't be doing two things at once. So if I'm, and it, it's a little plug for IDOC here, but it's why we started doing more what we call IDOC services to take some things off the plate of the doctors. Could they do their own books? Oh Maybe. gosh, don't get me started. On Probably not. Probably no. That's a bad example. <laughs> could they do their own marketing? Yeah, you could kind of do your own marketing. Um, is it the best use of your time? to be trying to figure out how to come up with graphics to put on, on Facebook, or do you, do you let somebody else do that? Where I think you've read the book too, who, not how. Absolutely. A big fan of that book, which really turns that idea on its head that usually when we're trying to succeed at something, our thought is, how can I do this? Where the way it's positioned in that book is don't focus so much on how you're going to do it. Find your who's find who can help you achieve it at whatever it is you're trying to um, succeed at. And then, it gives you better clarity on where you should be spending your time. It's, we always hear the phrase, oh, I don't have time to do this. I'm so busy. Steve, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just busy. So much on my plate, right? One of the ways in which I started to reframe how I thought about time, whenever a new opportunity or whether it was the business asking for time, one of my favorite phrases that I learned a long time ago, we all have a relationship with our business. Um, it is the most selfish relationship you will ever have in your entire life because it will take as much as you give it without apology or uh, recourse, right? It's not asking, hey, are you sure you want to give me more time? No, it'll just, you will always absent guardrails and absent some other forking, forcing mechanism. 
it will always take as much time as you give it. It's up to you to put guardrails around whether you're going to give it that time or not. So one of the phrases that I internalized when new opportunities or a new idea were to come across my desk or in my mind or something like that, excuse me, was to think of it this way, not, Hey, do I want to do this? What am I going to stop doing so that I can start doing this? What am I going to say no to in my existing life right now? So I can say yes to this new opportunity. If you're not asking that question, what usually happens with practice owners, the, 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 the entity, or if you will, the, the relationship that gets the short end of that stick is usually our family or the things that we want to do. Like how many practice owners, just to use a cliche activity, how many practice owners would enjoy getting one more round of golf in maybe per month, per week, maybe well, if you're already golfing and you want one more round of golf per week, okay, well, maybe that's a different guy, but you see where I'm going with this. How, what is that? Who is the one? What's the casualty? Who or what is the casualty of you saying yes to one more thing in your business? Or to your point, Steve, not, not saying no to something or delegating something. I promise practice owners, if you spend time on Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R, or Upwork.com, there is not a resource in the world that you will not be able to find to solve a lot of your administrative, what I would say, messy middle projects and tasks. I've got half a dozen people, quote unquote, on payroll or like on the, at call, on call, if you will, for anything that we would need. And so I found the podcast producer for 2020 money it was through Upwork and 220 some episodes later, Kyle and I are still chopping it up. It's great. You mentioned something that might prevent people from hitting those goals. And I'd like to continue on that theme of delegation mm-hmm. of that, that thought process. Cause I hear it a lot and you probably do as well, where people will think I'm the only one that can do it right. I worked with an OD once that wouldn't delegate PDs because one, some years ago, <laughs> one optician screwed it up and I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I check PDs now. He goes, I have the doctors check PDs because I had, it, it was, it was oh, crazy. So we managed the exception instead of the norm. Exactly. Or the, um, you know, just sometimes people will, I mean, the doctors can be this way too, but sometimes I'll hear, from the doctor who will talk about a manager who likes to sort of micromanage everything. And, um, and it's, it's not efficient. And we'll have that discussion. A lot of times the word control freak will come up that he or she just doesn't like to wants to be in control of everything. So that reluctance to delegate, and it, maybe it brings us back to that book, who, not how, so maybe it's a broader question, but I guess that's one area that my mind went to what, what are the challenges people have in in succeeding in these areas. So if we know what our personal, if we do get that target for what personal goals or whatever we want to call it is, and then we start to get more clarity on on how to utilize our time, it requires us to stop doing things, which in many cases requires us to let go of some control. Is that an issue that holds people back from reaching their goals and and how how do we overcome that? Yeah, I think one of the reasons on that, I think I know one of the reasons that people struggle with delegation is that they have no idea what they're trying to solve for. So they're just taking the next step at a time without really understanding how they define success of the project. And because of that, the the cattle or the the causal effect of that type of mindset is they think that they they automatically equate that different means wrong. Hey, Steve, I have this project I want to do. Um, Steve, I need you to market the practice for me. 
the hell does that mean? Like, <laughs> I need you to take over marketing for the practice. Okay, can you give me a little bit more here? Right. And I'm probably not being too far off in what practice owners have thought of when they think of delegating. What what does a practice owner want to delegate? Well, I want to delegate bookkeeping. Okay, that is a fairly, not to bring that up again, but that's a that's a fairly concrete and definitive measure of success. What does that mean? What does success in this delegative project mean? Well, it means that I'm going to have someone that reconciles my books against my credit cards, my bank statements, my receivables, et cetera, uh, on the no, no later than the 15th of the, of the month after, no, no more than the 15th of the month uh, after month close, I'm going to have my profit loss, my statement of cash flow, my balance sheet. Um, everything reckons, boom, boom, like, we can, that's a fairly easy bridge to cross on how we would define success. But the bigger projects of, oh, well, I want to delegate marketing. The reason that I think ODs struggle in using that example is they're not sure what that even means. So how can they possibly delegate that to a staff member? And if you do that, maybe I'm going on a limb here and, and being too extreme, but you're almost all but guaranteeing that they're going to worst case scenario, fail miserably in your mind, best case scenario, there's going to be some type of conflict because there wasn't alignment of expectations. They thought that marketing was X, Y, and Z. Your thought of marketing was A, B, and C. So part of the reason that they struggle with delegation is we're not sure what it means, what how we're defining success. And so how do you map that out back to goal setting? All right, I want to define what that means. And I'm not a marketing expert. I don't pretend to play one on TV or on a podcast. So I'm not going to use that as an example to kind of wordsmith that out in conversation with you. But as an example, hopefully that gives context around what I see as being the limiting hurdle that people struggle with when it comes to delegation. And the last part on this, kind of because of that, let's say that you do actually go through that process of defining what success means in the project that you're going to delegate. We have one relationship. And if he listens to this podcast, this will be the second show that I call him out on, not by name, but by example, was spending time ordering and trying to find, uh, he wanted to buy a three quarter zip or a quarter zip fleeces, like really nice fleeces for the practice. They're in the upper or they're, they're in the, um, uh, in the, in Northeast new England area, right. It's cold office, whatever staff was saying, gosh, it's getting cold. It's cold in here, blah, blah, blah. Wanted to order fleeces. I'm like, why, why are you doing that? Like I've got a VA in the Philippines that for five bucks an hour say, I need this many fleeces, this brand name, Godspeed. Here's my logo. That project from a delegation standpoint should take five minutes tops, but no, he wanted to see the fleeces and he went, it's like, just because your level of success is what it is doesn't mean that someone's level, other level of success or delegating that, though it may be different than the way that you do it, doesn't mean that the outcome would be wrong. And I think that's where you need to, you not you, but as a listener, if you're struggling with that, think of, ask yourself this rhetorical question. Does the fact that someone would do it different the way than I would do it mean that it's going to be wrong? And more times than not, the answer is no. Yeah. And, and I would also say, don't let perfect become the enemy of very good. Uh, so maybe yes. somebody does it not quite like you. Maybe they make a mistake here and there. But again, what is the worst case in that situation? So a lot of times I think we when we do delegate something, we we think we were doing it 
exactly the way we want it. You know, that old antiquated phrase with, of if you want it done right, do it yourself. It, it, could there be worse advice out there in terms I of know, efficiency? I know, but it's so prevalent, right? It's <laughs> so prevalent out there. But, I, you know, you really highlight something very important is the – uh, the the importance of training and developing your team and setting clear expectations. So as we go down this road, and and I think most people I would hope are following along and agreeing that getting clarity on what my my vision is, what are my personal aspirations, and then and then really refining how I spend my time. But to do that, you need other people to help you do that. And so I you can look no further than in in one. Uh, area your your own team right so this could you know where this comes up a lot you were talking about marketing you know where it comes up all the time is optical is optical <laughs> so you hire an optician who's got a little bit of experience and you just assume that they're going to be great on the retail side on optical sales on being able to communicate value and then i i don't know how many times i've i've had doctors express their disappointment with an optician and then when i ask what kind of training did they have literally many times the answer is none None. The answer is none. But to your point, it's not necessarily an area that a lot of ODs understand very well either. So when you bring somebody on, if you want to be able to carve out more time for yourself to focus on, again, the high value activities, but also things you enjoy, you really need to prepare the people around you for success. So if we just hone in on that example, an optician really have to sit down. I guess I suppose this would apply to any position but really have to sit down and clarify what are the what's the expectations for that individual, but also give them the training and support that they need. And if you have to outsource that, fine. If you if you say this isn't my area, I don't know a lot about billing, but I want my billing person to be good at it. So I'm going to get some outside training, but set that person up for success so you can begin to back away. But you have to be willing to relinquish some control as a leader. If you're not, you're going to be constantly that the business will constantly depend on you and you you will be your time will be basically be taken up by a lot of these various activities that prevent you from focusing more on the things that that would really be the high value activities with the highest rate of return. Well, and I'm so glad that you said that too. You you said you you connected the dots on the fact that if this isn't your strong suit, again, it's a who not how conversation. I haven't communicated with my optician about what I'm defining as success in optical. Great. I don't know how to do that. Awesome. Guess what? There's a bunch of people out there that can help both of you, that can help your organization do that. You and I could both rattle off a half a dozen consultants that can help train optical on how to present to the patient how to, again, I'm so outside my comfort zone. It's not even funny. Like this isn't my sandbox, obviously, but I know that it is an important part of any successful practice is to have that continuity of care, the continuity of conversation, the handoff from the lane to optical. You can't just expect that to happen. There's no mind reading. There's not, this isn't, a, this isn't an osmotic experience where just by proxy, your knowledge and your expectations of success are automatically going to transfer to your optical. You have to communicate that. And if you're not sure how to define success, or you're not sure how to train to the level of success that you want, then again, that say, okay, I don't know how to do this. And maybe I could even play devil's advocate to say, even if I did know how to do it, it's still not the best and highest use of my time in the business. So who out there can help me do that? Who do I have to make an investment in both in time and money to get a return on that investment? Don't view it as an expense. It is an investment that will pay dividends. Who do I have to invest in to help us as an organization accomplish this goal? Start there, put that down on paper. One of my favorite quotes, and I 
can't, it's one of my favorite quotes and I can't remember the author that wrote it, but uh, I didn't know what I was thinking until I started writing, right? So many times just starting to write these things down and getting them on paper can give an incredible amount of clarity as to what's going to be your next best step in the process. And the same thing is true from the financial standpoint, right? If we tie this back around to the, to the connection of, well, how much, how am I defining success in the absence of understanding what your def, what you want your ideal life to look like and how much that costs to underwrite? Is it $8,000 a month? Is it $15,000 a month? Is it $25,000 a month? There is no right number. There is no wrong number. It's a subjective number based off of the lifestyle that you and your family aspire to either maintain or strive to accomplish at some point. The beautiful thing as a practice owner is when you get clear on what that dollar amount is, candidly, the rest from a planning standpoint becomes easy for us as advisors, because now we're into the tactical with the added bonus, with the extra arrow in the quiver of being a practice owner, where we can directly, maybe not right away, but we can directly influence the financial outcome of the practice. If we're managing from a profitability number first, and we're determining how much income does the practice owner want to take out of the business after expenses, but before taxes, we can now reverse engineer based off of the metrics of a successful practice to determine what does the top line revenue of the practice need to be. And then last but certainly not least, now we can figure out what are the three variables and combination of variables that we can use to get that top line number. Number of patients per day, doctor days per week, revenue per patient. That's what an optometric practice comes down to. Where do you as the practice owner slash clinician and the various percentages that you fill, that you wear both of those hats on a weekly basis, how do you do that? Where do you fit into that equation? I think this is a good place to wrap it up. And you mentioned something before, which... I was going to ask anyway, but it had to do with how, how do we make sure that we're sticking with the plan? You mentioned writing it down and, and the value of doing that. So, so I've had, I, I've had this morning habit for years where, and I probably read this or picked it up from somebody else, but I just take a few minutes and I write down what my, what my goal is, what personal and professional, where do I want to be in a certain number of years? Cause I want to keep that clear in my head. Right. And then I write down a couple things I'm going to do that day. And these could be real simple things, but things that put me a little bit closer to that goal. So I do that every day. So what are my question to you is what are some of the habits that people could develop when it comes to money. And I think you're kind of a systems guy. You used to have that big calendar behind you and you've said that to me. Yeah, it's really cool. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You've sent that to your van. I think of the, the book, atomic habits, really Absolutely. converting our goals more into habits, which is I, I've definitely adopted a lot of those principles. It's you can set a goal, which is great. Where do I want to be in a year? But, but actually getting clear on what habits am I going to develop really is what is involved with executing on the things that you need to do. So, so any insight from you on maybe the habits or systems that people should develop that are going to keep them on track to stay consistent with whatever that those personal plans they have are. You know, Steve, you're right. I am a big fan of uh, James Clear and his book, Atomic Habits. And I think if we're talking about what are the what are the quantitative tactical habits and measurements, if you will, that we can start measuring, that listeners can start measuring. Um, and I'm looking at our calendar that we sent that we send off to all of our clients at the end of the year in planning for the for the following year. There's six KPIs that we have in what we call our KPI corner. And the first is uh, we aspire or aspire, excuse me, we encourage all practice owners to think of 
how many days off do you want to have this year? And this is through the idea of we want to um, we want to work to live, not live to work. So what is it? The practice should be in service of your life. And so how do you put guardrails around that? How many personal days do you have off? What is your personal income goal? Back to what I talked about earlier. What is the monthly what is the monthly inflow, if you will, of cash flow that your household needs? So what's a personal income goal, which then translates to what does the monthly practice revenue goal need to be? And at what target profit margin do you need to be to aspire to your personal income goal? You can tell these are kind of stacking on top of one another, which then means what does your revenue per comp exam need to be? And then finally, splitting your time in clinic. If you're a practice owner, you're going to spend a certain percentage of your time clinically and then a certain minute administratively and strategically. What does your revenue per day worked need to be in order to aspire to those goals? So real quickly, again, to summarize personal days off, personal income goal, monthly practice revenue goal, target percent profit margin in the practice, revenue per comp exam, and then revenue per day worked. If you start there, right, what Peter Drucker talk, talks about, what gets measured gets managed and what gets managed gets improved. If you establish your baseline, that's a great way to start determining where you're at and how the practice can be and should be in service of your personal goals. And then last point on, from a, from a habit standpoint, if you're struggling to build that habit right now and you're struggling to review your numbers, James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits, the best way to start a new habit is to do something called habit stacking, where you will, if you want to start something new, place whatever you need to do to start that new habit right next to, right up against something that you're already doing. So if the first thing that you do in the morning is go downstairs, make a cup of coffee and look at your phone in your study or on your couch the way in which you would use the combination of habit stacking and substitution is instead of your phone, you're going to substitute your KPIs, but you're going to do it when you're drinking your coffee. The key to that is to prep everything that you would need to do and review your numbers before the habit, make it easy, right? So prep that the night before, print those out, do it, put your computer there, what, however you would access those KPIs, put that in the place that you would review it. And then instead of looking at your phone or your iPad or your tablet, you're looking at your numbers. That's a great way to just start, start that type of habit. If you're not doing that already, does that make sense? Absolutely. And I mean, I, it's interesting that a lot of the things we're talking about, I think actually help people make it easier. Oh, absolutely. To reach a goal, not harder. And I, I, a lot of things that keep us from doing that is that we feel it's, it's challenging, it's daunting, it's overwhelming, but you may be right if you're doing it the wrong way, but if you can if you can get clear on what that vision is, get clear on how you want to use your time, be willing to delegate and outsource things and stay focused and develop yeah. some of those habits, those daily habits that are going to not feeling like you need to accomplish everything in, you know, in one day, but rather over time, it's you're going to put yourself closer and closer to that. I'm going to let you close out with a a quote that you told me. And you know which one I'm talking about, the one about it's amazing how much people underestimate how much time oh, they can yeah. accomplish. Well, what is yeah, be, yeah, people people underestimate how much they can accomplish in 10 years and overestimate how much they can accomplish in one year. Mm -hmm. And the challenge in doing that without without being clear and cognizant of that is they will they will put all these goals on paper. 
and for the record, that's not my quote. I think we've just talked about it in the past. <laughs> I, I attributed it to you. I, I, I assumed it was somebody else's, but you, I, I heard did, it from you. Let yeah, me rephrase. Yeah, exactly. So I, I have a hard time taking credit for things. So I, I will always <laughs> defer credit to, to people smarter than me. I just have a very uh, unique way of synthesizing all of it and bringing it into a conversation. Um, what happens is people get dejected and overwhelmed because they put 15 different things that they want to accomplish over the course of this year. And then they don't accomplish it, but then they completely underestimate what they would be able to accomplish if they just gave themselves a little bit more time and did it in a way that was right, smart, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely, this whole smart goal process. Um, you have to set goals. The, the Navy SEALs have a phrase in the teams that hope is not a course of action. And ostracizing or just burying your head in the sand and hoping that things will get better, it's not going to happen. And to kind of close out three different, uh, uh, to, to close out this monologue with three different quotes, um, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the next best time today? If you find yourself in that situation where you've just been kind of aimlessly drifting and again, the business of optometry, you can be accidentally successful or unintentionally successful, maybe is the more appropriately defined definition in the context of this conversation. That's okay. Find your who. Who do you need to connect with to help you get clarity around those things? Find an advisor, call IDOC, have a conversation with them. Talk to your advisors about what it, and, and to help guide you through those conversations, bring that accountability. Um, if you want something you've never had before, you're going to have to do something you've never done before. So um, there's one more. I'm done. I'll stop quoting. <laughs> I had to sneak in that last one. All right. <laughs> well, Adam, as always, this has been a pleasure, very enlightening and insightful. Uh, always appreciate you you coming on and I'll, I'll see you, I think, in a few you know, weeks, about right? a month. Yeah, yeah I think we're right at about a month at IDOT Connection 2023 IDOT Connection. down in Orlando. Looking forward to so, it. bringing the whole family this time. So awesome. Yeah. Uh, look forward to seeing you and, and the rest of them. Adam, where can people find out more about you and your company? So if they want to learn more about integrated PWM, or <laughs> I gave the website as name, integrated planning and wealth management, the website is integratedpwm.com. Uh, from there, we have links to the podcast. If you just want to dive right into the podcast, open up any podcast app and search 2020 money, that's 20 slash as if refracted down to 2020. Uh, just search that or my name, uh, you'll be able to or just search optometry money and you'll find, uh, find our podcast there. So appreciate it, Steve. Thanks, Adam. Until next time. Um, so thanks again. And if you'd like more info about IDOC and how we work with ODs to help them grow their practice, you can find out more at IDOC.net. So thanks again to Adam and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it.